Welcome back to Knowledge Drop. My name is Derek. And I'm Josh. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode on the podcast. Today, uh, I have the topic, and I think it's going to be kind of interesting because it's a little bit of ethics, but also some engineering technology stuff. So Ethics is always a spicy subject for sure. Yeah, and I, you definitely are able to like play devil's advocate very well so i'm i'm very uh i'm interested in uh in the debate today definitely looking forward to it but uh before we hop in are you ready for a fun fact oh yeah i'm ready prompting a question what is the only whole number that can that is spelt alphabetically so from a to z so like example two would would not follow that right because t then w right comes Mm -hmm. after t so there's only one whole number. Can you figure out what it is? Eight? No. T eight? No. Yeah. Not eight. <laughs> A B C D E F G H I E I. Yeah, I see. It. Yep. Um. Four. Not four. It's F O U. Oh, UNR. Dang but it. Close. It. Close. Well, four. Five? Four T. Forty is the only. Oh, see, I'm only, only thinking of number. one through nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact, the whole numbers span greater than one through yeah, nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm talking about counting numbers now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, gotcha. So 40 is the only whole number that is spelled out in alphabetical order. There's also only one whole number, hint, 1 through 9, that is spelled in reverse alphabetical order, Z, Z to A. Uh, I want, hang on, let me guess the, the reverse order. It's... Mm, yeah hang on I'm, I'm under pressure i don't want to do it anymore <laughs> <laughs> one. one one is the only and okay yeah no, so o n e yeah 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 so yeah those are the only two numbers one fo- forward one backwards in the alphabet that's pretty wild where do you come up with where'd you fo- how do you find that out? i just i love numbers and my fun yeah, facts bad. tend to tend to deal with numbers so yeah, i'm sticking to it because numbers I mean, are like, awesome where do you just divine these or like does Veritasium like just text you stuff? I'm I'm just writing up proofs in my room every night. That's it's what I do. <laughs> YouTube channel Does coming. Does ChatGPT feed you these fun facts? I do not use ChatGTP. I don't believe yet. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it's starting to become like a uh, like when uh, you ask for professional sports players, like, do they use steroids? Mm-hmm. Do you do you use do you use ChatGPT? Absolutely not. <laughs> I am and will forever always be pure. 100% gotcha. of the mind. Gotcha. Don't get it twisted. Um, well, okay. That was fun. That was fun. Um, just a warning to listeners. I am coming down from a cold. So if I you hear a little sniffling, you've been warmed. Um, but yeah. So, Josh, today's topic. Um, I'm also going to start with a question. You started me with a question. I'll start you with a question. Fair enough. How many people do you think the Earth can support can support i'm pretty sure we're plateauing right now we're, we're in the top of the plateau so i well, know so so what do you mean by plateauing like 
we don't have the resources anymore to support this many people or there's not mm. enough people providing those resources or there's too many people therefore we're overusing resources and so it's artificial like it's coming down like explain well, reasoning yeah explain reasoning on this i know um for a long time we we're on an exponential growth curve and i'm pretty sure in the last i don't know if it's years or decades it's been leveling off and i think that's one um potentially like changing culture whether it's here, people are getting married later or China having rules on birth rates. A lot, a lot of things culture that I think have changed um, over the last century, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also want to say we are we probably have the capability to house a lot more people or support a lot more people. But I want to say through the overall curve, we're probably st- still closer to on the plateau than on the exponential up. So I don't know, we're, we're at like seven some billion right now. Almost eight billion. Almost eight billion. I want to say like maybe maybe ten billion. Maybe. Okay. Um, ten billion is the more widely accepted value for what the Earth can can support physically, like with housing, with food production, with um, you know all these different things, resource utilization, um, and people have been thinking about this for a while. The first person, at least that um, I found in my research, was a guy in the late 1700s named Thomas Malthus. He wrote a book called An Essay on the Principle of Population. Now, this is to say he was not like some doom and gloom saying like, everyone's going to die, we're going to overpopulate the earth, and it's just going to wipe everything out. Basically, he notice the same thing that you mentioned that there's a population exponentially increasing and food production is linear. Mm, So at one point your food production or your population is going to outpace food production. Yep. It'll, it'll cross cross over negatively. Yeah. And his thoughts on that was, you know, square footage of, of land, you can only grow so much food per square foot, meaning for all the land of the earth, you can only grow so much food. And the population, you know, you can have apartment buildings. So it's not very, it's not based on just square footage. Yeah, it's it's easy to populate people in a vertical sense, but it's not easy to put cow farms on top of each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was an interesting, I, I just kind of read the highlights of that one. Um, the next guy, though, was a German scientist. He actually uh, came up with the cure for syphilis. Um, his name is Paul er- Erichleich, probably mispronounced. That's <laughs> all right. But he came out with a book called The Population Bomb. And his his take on it was a, a lot more doom and gloom. And it's probably like one of one the book itself is supposed to be or not supposed to be. It, it's been said one of the most controversial eco books ever. Oh, okay. Um, because basically he said that by the year 1970, the population would be 10 billion and that the that many people and the limited resources would lead to war, famine, and disease, wiping out humanity. And he was telling everyone he could, like, we need to stop growing. Mm-hmm. We need to euthanize people, or not euthanize them. <laughs> wow, sterilize, sterilize people. Derek's uh, going around eliminating everybody that well, he doesn't like. Hey, 
No, but uh, eugenics was like a very popular subject in the United States in the 1920s. Oh, really? Um, yeah, maybe we'll do an episode on that because I thought it was like, what? We were doing that to people in America? What? Anyway, side topic. Um, or Tangent Town. <laughs> um, anyway, his book did not go over well with the community. Still doesn't. Um, he's still alive today and he still believes that his theory about the population bomb where we're going to get to like a tipping point and it, everything's just going to explode from there. Um, he still is like very, um, he believes in all of that. Um, but I thought it was interesting that he like the 1970, like he picked the year 1970 and yeah. here we are 50 years later, still kicking, still thriving. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's it's very hard cast. To, it's very hard to forecast future numbers. Excuse me, and population being one of them. I mean, when did he write this again? Uh, this was the '60s. Okay, yeah. So, like, com- coming off World War II and the baby boom, like, he was he mm-hmm. thought people were going to be popping out these babies forever, right? And mm-hmm. just at the same rate, and that that was a extraordinary point. Uh, in human history, at least at least in the United States history, but I want to, I want to assume across the world too, mm-hmm. where uh, you know so many people returned home and everybody started families. So there was yep uh, an abnormal growth in population. He probably projected that to continue, which wasn't likely. Yeah. The other thing that um, he didn't account for is uh, human grit, like our 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 tenacity, because our ability to grow food has significantly gotten better over the years um just in that just in the last hundred years not counting the last like 20 20 years um the main things that like just made food production rocket off was uh improved irrigation like drip irrigation um they call it micro irrigation where you just have like a pvc pipe with holes in it okay um soil moisture uh sensors and monitoring um there's a, a a satellite called SMAP. Mark Rover actually talks about it in a video of, of one of his about uh, why NASA, or is NASA a waste of money? Um, so, like, all these different tools allow us to understand what's going on in the soil or in, in yeah. that part of the world, and we're able to forecast better what's happening, which allows us to... Pre- to have more food or to grow more food because we were able to predict things better. Yeah, and I also assume GMOs too, as controversial yeah. as that that may be. Yeah, see, I was just, that's the second one on the list. What do you think about GMOs? Genetically modified organisms that can be animals, plants, or microbes. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm more traditionally familiar with the sense of it in plants. I guess I haven't really thought of it extending to um, animals, but I have personally not done a lot of research. There's a lot of people who have done a lot of internet research and believe it is super bad for you and has caused <laughs> uh, you know a lot of diseases or cancers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, but I honestly can't speak to that. Uh, I, I do know that it has helped a lot uh, with growing crops in different um, climates. Mm-hmm. Different levels of rain, um, all different soils, that type of stuff, as well as helping with pesticides. But I guess, you know, the argument is you're adding or changing whatever you're doing to the to the seed to prevent those things is then growing and going in your body. So I, I would have to look further in, into the actual health effects. But yeah. as for producing food for the populace, it's it's been great. 
Yeah. But do we fully know the effects? Probably not. Yeah. No, so GMO, like corn and um, what's the, the other main, uh, rice and like all these other main cash crops, the, it, it's the uh, yield has significantly increased. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it feeds the world now. Um, and not only that, but like uh, tomatoes, strawberries, blueberries, they're all, I don't know if you've seen blueberries Big, lately, they're but huge. They're, they're like grapes. And those Costco, those <laughs> Costco berries, man. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Um, so obviously like something's got to give, right? Like it can't just be a, a awesome, great improvement all the time. Well, why not Derek? That's, that's life. <laughs> so like GMOs, like I, I've never really had an opinion. I've never had a reason not to trust them other than like it's artificial and it's bad. Cause like, uh, so my, I have family members that are greatly opposed to GMOs because of not not particularly any real health reason, but because of the idea that a corporation, like some entity, can own a form of life. Mm. And that feels, to them, it's like, can you own life? Like, it, even if it's just a plant or... And GMOs also extend to animals, like I mentioned, because we've been selectively breeding dogs and cows sure. for, you know, how, who, hundreds of years. And so that kind of falls into that line of, like, we're selectively breeding these, but is it bad? Well, is it a little so bit of a stretch to say selective breeding is it, GMO? It technically falls in the category of GMO because you're still you're you're basically picking and choosing genetic traits and you're you're trying to get all of those good traits into one specific animal or or whatnot. Okay. But yes, uh I I wasn't necessarily going to like go down the whole like the cows we have today are not like the cows we had 200 yeah. years ago or whatever. And I guess plants plants are kind of the main And this is almost a conversation I feel like you get into when you start talking about the ability to change the genetics of a newborn is yeah. is the world the going CRISPR to stuff. conform to a certain skin color, eye color, uh, body build, level. intelligence level? Right? Mm-hmm. Are we all just going to become copies? And so, obviously, everybody is unique and great in their own ways. But maybe drawing a little bit back to dogs, um, it's. It's especially like in this first world country where everything is a choice. People want what they want and mm-hmm. um, probably for purity reasons, I don't know, you, you can argue against it. And, you know, there's probably some animals rights issues in there where you're, you're, you're forced breeding dogs that, you know, should probably never have to cross over. But, I mean, I think the rage right now is any kind of poodle mix mm-hmm. because poodles are super smart. They don't shed and crossing with whatever dog you want and they just become absolutely adorable yeah no Um, that's totally right so i mean i i i think i see the good parts of it and i i just don't think the bad parts are super illuminated for me right now i don't don't know the details to them Mm -hmm. so i think right now the benefits to me are outweighing the negatives Mm -hmm. um because i also had a i had a golden doodle and man that he was he was the greatest dog ever so (laughs) I uh, I don't know. I kind of have some interesting thoughts on it because if, like, so like for my family, 
there's a history of diabetes. What if I could just pluck that out and my children and my children's children don't have to worry about that? Yeah, and that's that's the easy stuff, right? Yeah, the, it starts taking out you, the diabetes. It's, could you draw the line though at it starts? At yeah, it starts taking out heart conditions, and it's like, oh, you know, my my family's always had skinny legs. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you, I feel like you can argue anything. Yeah. So you're saying you can't put that genie, you can't contain that. Once I, it's, I don't think you can. Okay, it's it, like this AI thing. You can't put that that genie back in the bottle. You can't no. contain it. You got to do the best with what you can after. Yeah. And I feel like you can try and regulate it as much as you'd want to, however much a government could regulate it or whatever entity. Mm-hmm. But people are going to find loopholes because, yeah, once once you're able and once it's, I want to say acceptable, but maybe not even acceptable, once you can, once it's people will. People yeah. will. Okay. Um, Interesting. Circling back to like owning life and what I think you mean is like probably the companies that develop a certain branch or I don't know how you call it, but certain specimen of a GMO of corn 380CU, you know, whatever (laughs) it is. Um, Do they get intellectual rights on that? Mm -hmm. Really? So there, if you go online, let's say I'm, I'm planting corn. I'm this company. I have this massive farm in Kansas and I've start, (laughs) sorry, I I start planting this corn and you know, the corn, it just kind of, gets flung out of the tractor mm-hmm. and it just starts growing. There's been cases where birds come and pick up the seeds and they fly just over the fence and the corn starts growing in another person's cornfield. The company goes after that farmer and takes their farm or sues them for stealing their property. And so like there's there's weird situations like that where they have such a control and they want so much control over that because it's they've invested billions of dollars into it that they they very aggressively go after people who are trying to take it from them. And so it's but and then they also it's the same thing with insulin is they just tweak that they just tweak it just a little bit, the recipe, the genome, whatever. So now it's a perpetual patent, which is not how the patent system is designed uh, to be. Yeah. And I feel like that would be so hard to control because i mean like that's an easy case but you know i guess it's growing in the edge of your neighbor's farm but like there has to be so many variations and i mean i'm sure there's scientists in labs 24 7 right just mixing and matching and growing you know year after year plant after plant Mm -hmm. and i I feel like that would be so hard so hard to control because i mean eventually you're going to sell it to mass market right i mean there's no other point of even if even if you're one of the bigger farmers in the world, just to plant your own corn, I feel like, and in my in my business head, it would make you more. You don't want that recipe getting out because I guess it's. But not like, how that, how is a, how is a farmer gonna? You know, it, maybe another. I but you can reverse engineer it, or you can basically you want to you you want to be able to protect your property such that only they can only come to you for that. Yeah. And so if I'm the only name in this like miracle corn that can grow anywhere under any circumstances for, you know, half of half the amount of water with no pesticides or herbicides, like I want to be the only person able to 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 um, provide that. Yeah, it's honestly something I think that's I want to look more into one, you know, mm-hmm. who who owns the seed and then like how, how do they mass sell it? Because I mean, I don't know, from. 
a general general person looking in, you're like, oh, you go to the market and you buy a couple bags of corn seed. But no, right? It's I'm sure there's you know a lot of different types yeah, and farmers know that. and all that all that type of stuff. So I think that'd be something super interesting to look into. But into the mere ethics of owning life, if it's a plant, man, I could care less. <laughs> but then it's it goes back to your argument. If I can own a plant, then why can't I own an animal? I'm the only one that can own this this sheep. And then it extends to I genetically modified this human. I own these humans. And if I own them, I can do whatever I want with them. So Derek's a slave owner and he gets to euthanize whoever he wants to. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we're making progress right under here. The bus. <laughs> um, no, I feel like that's a I feel like that's a stretch. Like I guess I understand plants are alive. Um but do plants have feelings? Like are you but also, I don't think anybody owns a certain type of animal breed because as as of right now, just like just like as in humans, we're not genetically modifying anybody on like the DNA level. We're just crossbreeding. So I don't care. Like anybody can create anything we've seen so far hypothetically by crossbreeding. They are. They are. You know, CRISPR technology? Yeah. They, yeah. There was a Chinese scient- scientist that... Uh, genetically modified uh, children in the womb yeah i, I i've and heard so, a little bit about that but like but like you know what i mean they're his children he made them yeah but like if, <laughs> if we're stepping back a little bit it's like animals first and like just crossbreeding i don't think anybody can own an animal yeah, yeah. Cr- crossbreeding it, it definitely is like um if there's different tiers to gmo it's definitely a higher or a lower tier higher yeah. tiers is like i've synthesized this the seed from constituent elements. Yeah. And the other thing I'm going to argue is we're only able to edit genes right now. Nobody is able to create a human from the ground up. So, so in, in my argument, okay. you still can't own the human if you're only like changing a couple things. Cause it's, it's still some crazy unique yeah, you're strand of DNA. Human. You're just modifying a yeah, couple, yeah. A couple points in you know millions or billions or whatever it is in the mm-hmm. strand, right? Um, so I, I don't think we would be able to say for the point for a long time that you'll be able to own a human life by genetically modifying it. I mean, I we still have to acknowledge, unfortunately, there's slavery in our world, right? But yes, um, uh, I I'll throw back. Uh, it, I think it was 2018 or 2019. They successfully took constituent elements of DNA and were able to make. DNA. Scratch. Interesting. From whatever DNA is made out of. Carbon. Yeah. And I mean, um, I guess they're probably getting close because they're also like almost, I want to say like 3D printing or like growing organs mm-hmm. now too, right? So yep. I mean, we're probably on the trajectory, but for like somebody to uniquely define a DNA set code and then me being able to go in there and change two genes and be like, well, it's unique. It's mine now. Like yeah. you know, I, I think that's yeah. a that's a that's a space where I don't think you'll ever be able to necessarily own life in yeah. animals or in humans. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree. You're right. Um, so switching gears a little bit, unless you have more to say. No, good. Okay, cool. We're we're we'll switch back a little bit. So, um, the other thing, uh, what we were talking about was uh the thing things that happened last century. Yep. that dramatically increase food production, um, crop yields. Pesticides was another big one. Yep. Um, 
So improved irrigation, GMOs, um, precision monitoring, pesticides. Now, all of these things, while they're great and produced fantastic crop yields, they also came with some downsides. Um, Roundup is a popular, used to be a popular pesticide for like mass, uh, mass, it might still be, I don't know. But um, it was like really destroying everything. Like not just pests, but like other animals, plants, like things that were surrounding these fields. And it was like really, really destroying the ecosystem around mm-hmm. the farming. Um, not to mention like getting into our bodies and, and ha- causing all kinds of harmful things. So now we're like, hey, we want to have these kinds of innovations for food production, but we don't want it at the expense of health or at the expense of the environment. Yep. Um, and so the, yeah, so that was last century. So now I'm going to kind of pivot towards going forward. Okay. Um, also I found a few different sources that kind of back this up. There is actually no definite number for how much, for how many people the earth can support. I mean, yeah, like it's when, when you're projecting these things, like you said, over the last century, we've being able to greatly improve how much food we can produce per square foot, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we I assume that can continue to grow and um, hum, humans can probably better uh, populate themselves in vertical cities if we want to continue. We could maybe one day figure out our trash problem, and, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. We, it's it's hard to put a, a, a measure and a prediction on our, uh, as you like to say, tenacity or maybe yeah. I would say ingenuity. Ingenuity, yeah, that's a good one. Um, but yes, you're, you're right there. There's a a pretty common, um, analogy when describing supply and demand. Um, and it goes kind of like, uh, you know, in, in forests there's bunnies and with no predators, the bunnies have this exponential growth, but then there's going to be this huge amount of bunnies. And then let's just say a predator comes in and just starts going to town so now the supply or the um the supply went up of food for this predator predator came in now the supply is starting to go down because there's less of them so now the like there it, it self-regulates i guess is is what i'm saying yeah and supply almost, demand is a self-regulating system and it's almost always you want to say like cyclical right because it's yes. never going to hang perfectly in the balance but yes. eventually one's gonna you know out out supplier out demand the other and then it's going to over over correct it's never going to go right back down to even it's going to over correct exactly. and, and then you're gonna have the reverse effect yeah because like i was saying with that thomas uh Thal- thalmas guy um he was just saying if food production is linear and population is exponential then as soon as we cross over from that linear food production when we cross over that exponential and we get above that then that's when war happens over resources. That's when famine and you know, you know, the it it corrects itself. Yeah. Um. And so, the assumptions you make about how many people the Earth can support it it varies. That's why there's so many. There's no real agreement on what what is available. Yeah, um, and I think the other hard thing about the world su- supporting X amount of people is that's assuming every person is getting just the right or equal amount of food, shelter, water. Yeah, yeah. 
And unfortunately, that's not the case, right? Yeah, and it calls back to that kind of, that water episode we did was like water distribution is mm-hmm. really the issue because, you know, there's plenty of water in uh, Missouri, but there's none available in Southern California. Yeah. And so, um, but then also, how can we predict what technology will be like just when Th- uh, Thomas Thalmus in the late 1700s, how is he supposed to uh, predict uh, GMOs or pesticides or, you know, s- satellites in space? And so who knows what our technology could be like in the future? Maybe we have some kind of wonder. Yeah, definitely. Wonder gel. Definitely. Um, this, uh, this population correction is also, we, it's happening. Um, have you been hearing about Japan's population collapse? No, I have not. Uh, so they're, they, they've had 12 consecutive years of birth decline or of a uh, population decline. Wow. A third of their population is 65 plus in age. Wow. Yeah. They, it's gotten, they are almost at a point where they cannot come back. Um, they are desperately trying to, uh, incentivize having children because obviously you don't want your entire culture, one of the oldest cultures to die out. Yeah. Um, I didn't know this, but apparently Japan is the third most expensive place to raise a child. Yeah. I also want to contribute I think a little bit to their culture because I think Mm -hmm. very much like the U S culture. Uh, you hear like, you know, um, the people in Japan just work crazy hours mm-hmm. all the time. And um, they're at a point where they're putting their career first mm-hmm. instead of family. So everybody's starting families later if if they are starting families, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a growing trend in the United States too. And probably all, in bigger... All developed countries. Yeah. This is the trend. Yeah. yeah and especially in like cities like <clears throat> New York, like... I don't even think you'd go to New York and expect to find many families, right? That's that's mm-hmm. a hustle bustle city. People were, uh, sorry, excuse me, the city where people go to go work, go have fun, go enjoy their you know their twenties, thirties, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's also almost maybe uh, a moral issue potentially. Like I saw this interesting um, poll that was one one of my friends sent to me in a group chat, and it was it was talking about um, in the United States of um oh it was like national pride um uh church attendance um family ambition you know stuff like that and you know, it wasn't even in like the last like 20 years i want to say it was in like the last 10 mm-hmm. maybe 15 years everything had gone from plus over 50% to like plummeting down to like the 20s and 30s and people weren't as you know um ambitious or proud of America and what it can be, you know, like a not not a lot of nationalism there. Um, uh, a lot less people claim they were religious. A lot less people claim they wanted to have kids. A lot mm-hmm. less people, you know, I guess just supporting this view of established countries, you know, turning the head and not, um, you know, orienti- orienting around family, which I think, especially in America, is super interesting because I think that's a big thing. 
and part of the American dream, like you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it, but also like you're going to raise your kids and family and you know, give them a better world because of it. Mm-hmm. But it seems that part's falling off and it's just the work message is sticking. Yeah. No, I, I think a lot of people are not realizing that like there's a cost to everything. Like the saying goes, there's no free lunch. And if you want to have a a good career, like a, a wildly successful, lots of money, lots of excess, whatever, whatever, that comes at a cost. And usually that cost is your family. Um, your mental state is also another one that if you're working crazy hours, you're going to burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I very much take pride in my work and I enjoy working, but I think mm-hmm. over the past 18, 12 to 18 months, I very much come to appreciate a more of a work-life balance and really come to learn not everything in your life needs to be determined by work. It's a great thing. You can take pride in it. You know, I think we were all meant to work. We're not meant to, you know, sit in a chair and look at the ceiling. Um, but there are so many great things outside of work that we also need to look into. So when people just throw their whole life, you know, 60, 80 hours a week into work and nothing else, man, that's brutal. Like I was last summer, I was, we were slammed at work and I was working 50, 60 hours a week and I would wake up, eat breakfast, go to work, get back. Um, you know, I'd probably get home like seven, seven thirty, eat dinner, take a shower. It was like nine, nine thirty. I was like, okay, what do I do for an hour? Mm-hmm. And I, I've never, never experienced burnout in my life. Cause I'm always like, go, go, go. I like mm-hmm. to stay busy. And I usually enjoy working, which sounds weird to a lot of people. No, no, no it, that's, that's but totally fine to enjoy it was, working. It was like the first time ever in my life. I was like, I, I need a, break because i I'd, I'd never just been so flushed into work like that at such an i mean and that wasn't for like a week it was probably for 10 to 14 week stretch mm-hmm. and i was just i was burnt out and, and you know it it hurt relationships and um my free time and all, all that kind of thing so it's it's i think it's a very very important thing for us to recognize culturally you know it's i'm i'm one person i'm sure there's other people out there that have come to this realization whether you're 20 30 40 50 but um i think it needs to be a cultural shift that you know i think as americans we'll always be proud to work we'll always be happy to work we'll always want to work and we'll that always be a pivotal part in our life right because when i ask you you know who you are you say you know i'm derek and i'm a blank you know i'm an, I'm an engineer okay, right that's engineer. That, that's that's how that's how we define that's ourselves as identity. americans right yeah. but um we need to remember that it's bigger than that i think and it, I agree with everything you said. That is, and I will also add, it's a very wise thing for 23? 22. 22. Very wise. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people are talking about that. So well, well said. Um, but I also think that you, you may be the exception for some of that. Because when you go and talk to people and you're like, I'm an engineer this isn't just a job for you. It's something that you have actual passion in. Like that's why you like working because this is something that you enjoy. It's something that you're, you're doing a, an engineering podcast for fun. You know what I mean? Like this is not engineering is not just a job for you. It's something that is a part of, of you as part of your identity. And that's, that's how I, I look at it as well as I, I tinker in my own time. I have 3d printers and I try to, you know, do programming and things like that just because it's something that brings me joy. And I think that a lot of people don't do that. And that's that's what they're missing. Yeah. And I mean, that's it's the unfortunate truth, right? I always, 
people younger than me, I always push to, I don't care what you do, you know, as long as you do what you like. Cause I don't, I don't really care if you go to college. I don't, you know, yeah. you know to me, college isn't the end all be all. I don't agree. If, yeah. if you like to work with your hands, go trades. If, yeah. if you're passionate and you love America and you want to defend your country, you go to the military. Mm-hmm. If you love real estate, you know, go into that. Like, but if you hate what you do, your life's going to be much more, much longer and much more miserable than, mm-hmm. you know, you could ever could imagine. The days are going to drag by. It's going to feel like forever. It's not going to yeah. be fun. 40 years and you're going to look back and well, be like, where'd my time go? You spend like, I think it's like a third of your life at work. Yeah. Third at work, third um, in bed. And then you, then you get the last <laughs> third to do what you want. Yeah. I, I agree with you that you should do something that you like to do to the point that you can still provide for yourself and you know your family. Yeah, and there's unfortunately if, probably if gonna, not enough, enough jobs to do that, but I mean let, yeah, yeah. I think there's you just have to think creatively. Mm-hmm. I I don't think that doing what you love and providing for your family are mutually exclusive. I think that if I want to be a painter that is is a viable thing, but I do real estate during the day. Or you know what I mean? Like you can kind of play those those kinds of situations where you can still mm-hmm. be happy and be passionate, but you can take advantage of certain situations or certain jobs that allow you to do what you want. And it doesn't have to be like all encompassing. You have to do what you love and solely that. Like you don't have to be a painter, but yes, if, if yeah, you're yeah. a painter, you're creative, you're, um, you're, you know, you're artsy, you have vision. So like maybe in real estate, you're not a classic real estate agent. Maybe you're a flipper because you have some mm-hmm. artistic interior design, you know, you, mm-hmm. you understand what goes well. So exactly. a little bit of tangent town, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, de- definitely a tangent town. Thank you for my Ted talk here <laughs> and uh, back to the regularly scheduled programming. Um, so we're, we're talking about, um, Japan, Japan, yep. Declining birth rates. Yeah. Um, right now there, it's a very complex thing. Like just me reading into it, it was, there's so much going on, but some of the things that they're trying and honestly, I don't think it's about money. Like we've talked about, it's not about money. They're trying to incentivize, they will give you cash bonuses for having children. They will basically make it for uh, free to have a child, like in the hospital. So, like we we pay money in America, a lot of money to have children. Yep. Um, they also are trying to subsidize school, so from the time they're you know five years old till after college, paid for. Like they they're so desperately trying to make it so that children easy, at least in outside of like financially raising, viable. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. And Having children isn't easy. But anyway, <laughs> they they want to alleviate as much of the external pressure as possible. Yeah, and I, I just I still feel like yeah, you, and that that'll help some people, but it's just such a cultural issue of they're mm-hmm. literally so career focused. Yeah, so career focused, mm-hmm. like you know, I, and they just don't even want to start thinking about kids until they're well established in their thirties. And I maybe it's not a money thing, maybe it's purely a career thing. You know, uh, status. You know, I, I I don't know the ins and outs of mm-hmm. their culture, but it's I I know enough to know that career is such a driving sense in um, Japan culture. Yeah. Um. So that was kind of where I turned the corner on what's happening now and what happened in the past, and now I started looking at the future. Future. Um. 
what kind of things are in development right now that are going to kind of help us give us that that rise in food production that that we need to continue the the population okay and it's kind of awesome <laughs> um there are one two three four five, six companies that i wanted to talk about so first one i i'm pretty sure i already shared a fun fact about this a couple months ago but it's called carbon robotics and basically it's just this tractor that can roll over that it just goes over your your field just like normal but it uses sub millimeter ai powered lasers to all of the wheat all the um the plants that you're not growing in that area okay so like an exterminator it's literally like yeah burning up but it it eliminates the need for herbicides like done yeah and that's, that's incredible i think touching just touching on a conversation of gmo and pesticides you know gmos also have things that are supposed to stop you know bugs mm-hmm. or pesticides or whatever yeah, yep. and then pesticides on top of that so i'm sure that's it's positive in the health sense in, in multiple ways yeah um and so just watching it that you can you can look at videos of it like and it it's fast too like it's not like a slowly identifying weeds like it knows like it's probably cruising around five miles an hour Mm -hmm. and it's taken out like thousands of weeds per second it's super cool um and then there's bowery farms and this kind of goes into um thomas thomas's thing this is a vertical growing um, company which if you can grow vertically then you can you know um Wait. Just, just, yeah, just like What's people, right? <laughs> you can, you can, you know, multiply the the amount of food we can grow. Yeah, so right? it's not just a square footage; it's a cubic a cubic equation. Yeah, there. and um, is is that like an aquaponics vertical? So yes, uh, there's no soil requirement, there's no sunlight requirement, mm-hmm. and you can be hydroponic, aquaponic, or aeroponic. Do you know the differences? Um, I want to say. Aqua includes having uh, fish and like natural filters. Yes. Hydro is purely like a water system. Yes. And arrow. Um, uh, you're just basically misting it with like a really uh, solution, like a solution of water like, oh, that okay. has all the nutrients it needs. Um, but yeah, so Bowery farm farming, they're basically able to do any of those, and it's basically just a warehouse. So you don't need sunlight, you don't need water, or you don't need a uh, soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're able to kind of do whatever they want, um, which I, I've, I've heard about them. They have a vertical farming gig somewhere in Scottsdale, like yep. here in, here in the Valley. And, um, been reading about them. I think it's awesome. I, I'm curious whether or not you could do it outside. Hmm. Interesting. And I, I also would, I'm curious on like plant size limitation. Cause like, Thinking about it for like um, herbs or like smaller plants, Mm -hmm. maybe like smaller berry plants. But when you think of something like corn, can really vertically grow corn. Yeah. And then, and then, how do you, you know, how high can you push these vertical systems before you start running into like harvesting issues? Yeah. Sorry, I think you're thinking of the central pipe, Mm -hmm. and they're all growing on the side of it. Yeah, Yeah. Bowery, their platforms. Oh, interesting. And so the the platforms can be separated by however much height they need. It can also be a variable distance. Mm. So your your corn, like you're saying, it could still still do that. 
So then um, you're back to like structural limitations of both the yeah platforms and then of the building. Huh? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I ask about vertical farming outdoors because like it it's hard to make warehouses that can support these like really humid conditions and you don't want to be limited by, I mean, I guess it's more controlled, so you'd want that, but yeah, then you just ex- start exposing yourself to a lot of variables. So your yield's going to go down for sure. I would think, but then like, cause you're exposed you- to natural elements, but then you also have to probably have a higher in structural integrity of all these things. Cause now you're going through windstorms and rainstorms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, and then, uh, erosion underneath and a whole bunch of things where I think that's a, a plus of inside farming inside is yeah, yeah. super controlled and you're eliminating a lot of external variables. Okay. It makes it the, the things that holds me back though. Imagine replacing all of the current farmland with something that has to be indoors. Yeah, I get that. So yes, you can like stack, you know, fields on top of each other and like eliminate all of that but it's still like is it feasible to do that is it that viable yeah and maybe maybe for smaller crops like you know strawberries lettuce all that other stuff but like the cash crops corn rice wheat like just yeah like the vast vast number of fields across the world yeah maybe you don't need need to do that for everything but you know maybe you can take a large portion of like a, a lot of these smaller things that are maybe you know more more niche or harder to grow or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is and, and pull that inside you know it's usually in the greenhouse or yeah yeah you know that that's it's super interesting though um the next one uh i didn't get a company name just because they were just talking in general so maybe there's not a company name but a university was doing research and they found out that birds have a high sensitivity to green light okay green yeah weird um and so they're using green light which isn't visible to humans during the day to mm-hmm. scare off birds that's yeah that's that's interesting and it it's non-lethal like it's not like killing these birds it's just like they're using it as kind of like a deterrent to stay away yeah i took <clears throat> i took a um a wind energy class a couple semesters back and we were talking about the environmental effects of wind turbines and how mm-hmm. to protect birds in some cases. And I forget the color, but they, they would paint the tips of the wind turbines. I want to say, I want to say green. Sure. Yeah. It, it was some color that the birds could see and, you know, they would know not to go there because, you know, it, it repelled them for whatever reason. But no, it is super cool to use natural elements like that yeah. to repel yeah. um, natural predators predators pests pests um so yeah i thought that was kind of like a it's kind of an easy gimme um the station that they were using is effective like for 600 feet or something Mm. um and then obviously all the data and automation this this is kind of a general one as well but like automate automating tractors uh water runoff monitoring uh, mitigation of water uh, wasting tracking of plant growth and uh, soil nutrients and all of those things like all of that it's just a big data farm mm-hmm. like it we're obviously it's a farm farm but now it's a data farm we're mining all this data out of it and we're using it to make better and better decisions better um evaluation of like soil and how to proceed and things like that that's that's huge right now because obviously farmers have been paying attention to all this for you know 
since we started yeah. agriculture, but now we're like quantifying it and using it to make really, really intelligent decisions so that we can better provide or uh, better crop yields, things like that. Um, another robotics company, Verdant Robotics, they do laser weeding like the, the other company. Yep. These guys will also track the individual plant growth over time. Hmm. They will remember every single plant in the entire field. That's pretty impressive. Um, they also, um, so in addition to shooting down the weeds, they have like a little, not like a spritz, like a, they call it a sharpshooter, mm-hmm. but it just kind of squirts just a little bit of fertilizer at the plant they're trying okay. to grow. 95% reduction in chemical use. Mm, that's, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense, right? You're only applying it. Directly <clears throat> to me. the plant. Directly where you need it and not yeah. across the whole field. Yeah. And this was ran- random side side tangent, but uh, my mom moved houses over this past weekend and she had to buy a new washer and dryer. And mm-hmm. the new washer and dryer she bought was one where you dump as much liquid detergent as you want and then it auto dispenses from there. Oh. So you don't have to dump it in per load. Yeah. And the guy who was selling it was saying like he's had heard a couple people, this, specifically this one lady, she was going through like a tub of, I don't know, Tide or whatever each month from Costco. You know, she was doing that much laundry. Wow. And she started doing this and it lasted her like three or four months, you know, just because it knows how much uh, instead of you just like. That should have been our capstone. We we already wanted to do a washer and dryer thing. Yeah. No, I was like, that is genius. Yeah. That is genius. You already have sensors sensing how much uh, clothing is in there. Clothing, water. And water and usage yep. and all, like you can control all of that. And so why wouldn't you control the detergent? Yep, super cool, super Man. cool. Man, we're in the market for washers. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get that. That's super cool. Um, yeah, so Verdant had a few more stats that were kind of cool. 500,000 plants per hour is they can visit. And they can visit per hour? Yeah, um, which equates to like, or no, no, that's laser weeding. Oh, okay. Um, the entire vehicle itself can do 4.2 acres per hour. Which that's that's a good amount of ground. Yeah, I wonder how fast you have to travel to cover four point two acres. It didn't and look I like it was like, going very fast. I wonder how big the machine is. It, it was kind of big. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say it was like maybe three or four cars widths. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this last one caught me by surprise. So it's a company called Symbrosia, and their big thing is they are looking at the um, carbon emissions of the world. And they they saw that fourteen and a half percent of global carbon emissions are from livestock, mm-hmm. and sixty five percent of that fourteen and a half percent is cows. Yep. <laughs> so they were like, okay, what we can't just eliminate cows. So what can we do to these cows who are just farting up the storms of methane? Because methane is a very very potent greenhouse greenhouse gas. Um, so I guess I shouldn't say uh, carbon carbon emissions, but just uh, global greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. Um, and they found that if you replace, if you put, yeah, replace 0.4% of cow's feed, so the feed that they just put in the troughs, yeah. replace half a percent of that with a red macro algae. 
it results in a 90% reduction in methane gas. Basically, it's gas X for cows. Yeah, so it's like it's fighting whatever's in their stomach to produce mm-hmm. a cleaner. Yeah. Wow. And it's just a plant. Like it, it, it's not even like it's a we're we're modifying the genetic code of cows to not fart. We're and there's there's no like health side effects. Uh, so they they haven't had any like large scale traction. Because they're still pretty new, mm-hmm. um, but they have not found anything different about the cows after this. And I'm like, half a percent different in my diet can eliminate ninety percent of farts. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Holy moly. Like, like once a month, or you know, just I guess maybe they just mix it in slightly with every bag of feed. Yeah. Huh. Which I'm like, most of the feed is byproducts of other stuff anyway, so it's like, yeah. why what, not? What do I need to change in my diet? <laughs> Maybe it's a Taco yeah. Bell, I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are all the kind of innovations that I found recently that I'm like, it just gets me pumped. You know, like, you hear about innovations and you hear about all these cool things that are happening and it makes you wonder, like, how how can I contribute? Or how can I, me, mm-hmm. me as like an engineer, like, what can I do to, to help the world? be just a little bit better point four percent of of this diet of this diet and i can eliminate 90 percent. so it's it's interesting it is yeah it is super cool like being an engineer being around engineers there's always very much a mindset that you do have power to change things and i think that can be an unfortunate part of today's world whether it's science or politics or economics people feel it's too vast for them to make a difference but Mm -hmm. You can. You can. I know I you're listening. You can. So now I want to revisit the question. Do you think that there's an overpopulation problem or a pending population collapse? I would still argue there's a limit. Uh, I, yes, like we said, there's a cyclical thing, but do you think that we're headed into, we're still in like an overpopulation situation? Or there's a collapse on the horizon. I mean, like right now, I would I would argue that our world's not overpopulated. There are areas of the world that are overpopulated. Mm-hmm. Um, but a- as as an entire entity, no, I don't I don't think we're overpopulated, and I don't think we're on a, a trend where we will become overpopulated. Kind of to our talks earlier of um, you know just. In, in some of the biggest countries in the world having a declining or slowing uh, population. Mm-hmm. But there's also some, you know, small countries that are still populating like crazy. I, I forget. Mm-hmm. I, I forget the name of the country, but it was some, I want to say some country in Africa, but it was on, it's on pace by, mm, I don't know. It was one or two decades to be the biggest country in the world, like outpopulate India and China, which wow. was crazy. I'd, I'd have to look back up and yeah. find that. But no, so there, text me that. there still are these, you know, countries that are still populating like mm-hmm. crazy, right? But some of the biggest are now not. So, you know, how yeah. how will the world handle that? But no, I still think we're in this plateau phase and I think we'll we'll be all right. At least at least for for my lifetime. Yeah. I I think we're and and if I'm asking myself this question, I think that we're gonna be surprised by how many people we can support. Mm-hmm. Not just because of the technology that we can develop because like i said 
when push comes to shove, we're going to find a way to make it work. Yeah, we're just going to euthanize him, right? <laughs> no, no. Um, I think that we'll we'll find a way, but I also think that we have not found that that the part of the curve where we're going to start trending downward and that cyclical. Not part. by necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Not not by any limits of of resource available resources. I think it will be a cultural thing that will. Like the this collapse, I, I think if we're not paying attention, that that's a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not to end on a downer note, but no, okay. we're not we're not ending on a downer note because engineering will prevail, right? Engineering will prevail. We still have hope. We we will not be outthought by Mother Nature. We will conquer all. Yeah, we've evolved. We've we figured out how to live in places we absolutely shouldn't be living. Um. Kind of like Arizona. The world, the world, the world is our playground, and we yeah. will continue to live and have fun and prosper on yeah. it for sure. Yeah. Um. So hope you hope you learned something. Hope uh, you enjoyed uh, our conversation, and we'll uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah.